Hi, welcome to the High Lady Book Club. My name is Jessie, and I love podcast discussions and deep dives. And I'm Katie, and I love all things Sarah J. Mass and outlandish theories. So we combine those loves into a weekly Sarah J. Mass discussion podcast. We'll be reading along to her books. We're diving into Crescent City first, and class is starting now. This is the English class you don't want to spark note. Welcome back to the High Lady Book Club. Welcome back to English class. I hope everyone did their homework. Today we're recapping Crescent City, House of Earth and Blood, chapters 38 to 47. Yes, and just as a reminder for everyone, we start each episode with a recap from Jesse, and then we get into discussion. First, we'll discuss things related to where we're at in the book, any plot information, any new characters, and then we get into some discussion that involves Sarah J. Mass's other books and the Mass universe. Um, but we always have a spoiler warning first, um, so stay tuned for that. Yes, and I am so ready to dive into this. Yes, let's do it. I can't wait to hear your recap. All right, so now we are beginning part three called The Canon, which now we know is the third circle of hell. Kind of hard to believe we're only on the third circle. It worries yeah. me a little bit. <laughs> I know, bad things have already been happening. So the fact that we just keep going deeper is problematic. Yes, so chapter 38 starts with Hunt and Bryce discussing Sabine as a suspect, and they both agree she has motive. So then they call Isaiah to recount what Sabine said the night that Danica was murdered. Right. And Sabine had said, talking about Danica, she could never keep her mouth shut and know when to be quiet around her enemies. And that Danica should have known better about all of it, starting with that slut of a roommate. Which is in reference, of course, to Bryce. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> Chapter 39, Rune meets up with the Medwitch uh, to ask about Luna's horn because he thought maybe modern medical advancements could possibly be the key to fixing the horn. But the Medwitch says she's not sure of any ways to repair it. Rune asks if her queen, Hypaxia, may have an answer. But the Medwitch says that Hypaxia is in mourning for her mother and not receiving visitors at this time, but she's going to be at the summit and perhaps he could ask her then. But Rune says he can't wait. The summit is a month away at this point in the book. Right. And this is not the first time we've met this Medwitch. Um, she was at the scene of another murder um, prior. And so he goes to visit her. And every single time we just keep not getting this woman's name, which is a red flag to me. So throughout this whole set of chapters, it's always like, oh, I didn't catch your name. And I think that's just interesting to point out. Yeah, that is that is a good point that I didn't uh, pick up on. We just know her as the Medwitch that's been around. So chapter 40 starts with Hunt and Isaiah on the roof of the gallery while Bryce is working. They're talking about the case. And Hunt shares that they're thinking Sabine may be the murderer. And Isaiah is basically like, if you 
are wrong, if you wrongly accuse Sabine, Micah is going to find you like responsible. Like you're going to go down for that. Um, yeah, because and, we have to remember that Sabine is pretty powerful. She is basically the prime apparent, which is the head of all of the wolves. And I don't think you just want to go calling somebody like that a murderer. So you better have legitimate, you better have more proof than normal. Exactly. Because at this point, they don't have solid evidence. Right. I did love that while Hunt and Isaiah are on the roof, Bryce is texting Hunt and says, the gallery roof isn't a pigeon roost, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And I also love that she changed her contact name in his phone to Bryce Rocks My Socks. It was like a very cute, innocent, flirty thing that felt present day. But at the same time, I haven't thought of doing anything like that since I was in like middle school. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's so true. I feel like it's a cute, you know, way of like remembering that they have phones. And I feel like she's really trying to push, you know, he probably didn't have much of a childhood or a life. And so she's doing all these like funny things like, wow, you have nothing of interest on your phone. Like, let me just do all this weird stuff that maybe you would do in middle school. That's how I've taken it, but it does, it definitely just seems silly. I don't know. Oh, that's cute. I like that interpretation. (laughs) So Hunt and Bryce go to meet with Victoria, who says she has information and says that she spotted a summoning through temperature fluctuations in Moonwood the night before. And the camera footage actually got a tiny image of the claw of like the crystallos and Vic was also able to map that the fluctuation was around the den which is the home of the pack of devils and Sabine right Uh, and she also kind of kept tracking it and found that the last place she could locate it was at the Rosegate in Fyro yeah that's pretty interesting Rosegate is in Fyro which is the fey territory so That's giving me Autumn King vibes as well. And I also just thought that the specific temperature fluctuation dip was interesting. It was 77 degrees, I'm pretty sure. And that's, you know, like the holy number seven keeps coming up. So I don't know. I thought that was just an interesting little tidbit. Yeah, that is that is interesting. And also that it's like colder than a normal. Right. It's giving cold, dark hell vibes so naturally bryce and hunt go to rosegate of course i mean they are trying to track the demon Mm -hmm. and they're kind of looking they don't really see anything and hunt kind of thinks about their theory about the power lines and says that maybe they were wrong about the reason that the demon was being spotted off central streets maybe it didn't have to do with the power from those streets but it was about the sewer system that's underneath those streets And then they're like, well, the sewers lead to the Eastros River. So Hunt decides that they should talk to one of his many waters contacts. So they head down to the river. I also thought at the end of this chapter that was cute that Hunt says, I have fun with you, Quinlan. Despite how terrible this case is, despite all of it, I haven't had fun like this in a while. And I was like, I thought that was so cute. 
Yeah, I was like, that's really cute. But it's also really sad that a murder investigation is like the most fun that he's ever had. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. That's so true. It's like, wow, I'm just having the best time hunting down this serial killer demon with you. <laughs> I know. I feel like it just really shows how like bleak this this uh, angel's life is. Honestly, though, he's had, yeah, probably one of the worst lives that I've read about. So <laughs> it's pretty bad. Yeah. And to be fair, Bryce does seem like a fun, albeit really depressed person at this point True. but she does say like she responds with hang with me Athelar, and you might get rid of that stick up your ass after all <laughs> i know she's so like witty and funny i do love their banter so chapter 42 um they go down to the east Rose river and we learn more about the mer city and mer people and it sounds like they're a group of people that party really hard <laughs> Yeah. At least from Bryce's university days, she recounts that. <laughs> um, it did kind of remind me of some club swim people I knew from my college days that also <laughs> partied extremely hard. So <laughs> rings a bell. A couple people come to mind. <laughs> yeah. um, so at the river, they meet Therion Ketos. Hunt's old friend, who is very flirty with Bryce, of course, every male in this universe is, and yeah. he's the captain of intelligence for the River Queen. Yeah. Unfortunately, Therian doesn't really have any information for them, but he does say he'll keep an eye out and will warn his queen about the Crystalos. Right. In this chapter, we also learn about the fuzzy little otters that are in reflective yellow vests who are the tech-free messengers in Crescent City. Yes, I love the little otters. They're so much fun. <laughs> they did sound super cute and Bryce loves them. She said it's part of the reason that she moved to Crescent City, so... Yeah, specifically the otters. They kind of remind me of the owls in Harry Potter. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, just these cute little animal messenger things. Oh, <laughs> that would be fun if you had your own. But these seem more like the post office. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I feel like they do have more of a a more structured purpose than the owls. The owls, <laughs> it would, it never really made full sense if you thought about it, <laughs> why you needed this bird to fly a letter. Um, but I feel like the <laughs> otters, it makes sense because you can't have technology when you're like swimming around. So you need, uh, you know, good old fashioned piece of paper, I guess, or a, a waterproof piece of paper. So the otters have more of a legitimate function, I will say. <laughs> I love, I love that rethinking the legitimacy of the owls in Harry Potter. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I love that part and I would never question J.K. Rowling, but I do, no. I will just say, I'm not quite sure I understand the 100% need for them, but I'm on board with the otters and their role. Uh, me, me too. <laughs> At the end of this chapter, Hunt and Bryce decide they need to go to Sabine at this point for more information because they're kind of stuck. And yeah. I guess they're de they're deciding, let's just go right to the source. Right. 
And this chapter is rough. Chapter 43, we learn a lot, um, but it's really rough for Bryce. So Bryce and Hunt go to the den. It's clear how nervous and unsettled Bryce is just approaching the area. And then yeah. there are three members of the Black Rose Wolf Pack at the gates. They are extremely aggressive toward Bryce. They call her a stupid slut. They don't even seem to care about Hunt and who he is, that he's Micah's assassin. They're taunting him. Yeah, the um, the angels and the wolves are kind of notoriously at odds with each other. They just, by nature, have an issue. And so I think that's part of where this is coming from. And it's just like an, an easy dig to get at him since he is a slave. Oh, okay. I didn't realize the Hunt shifter... Or it's hunt yeah. wolves specifically. The um, specifically the shifters and the angels, not just hunt. Oh, okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that was a thing. It's like a werewolf vampire vibe. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Twilight is always my You're frame not... of reference. <laughs> exactly. You're not welcome here on um, on our land. On the res. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> always find a way to put a twilight reference in (laughs) Um, yeah amelie or amelie she is the new um yeah so she's the leader of the black rose wolf pack she's the alpha um and this has kind of this pack has kind of taken the place of the pack of devils as the top ox unit for the wolves so she's kind of the new Danica, or at least that's what she would like to claim, but she will never actually hold that place because she's nowhere near as powerful or as badass as um, we will learn. And she says some really messed up stuff as well. She straight up says, I should thank you, Bryce, for distracting Danica that night with your drunk text. Otherwise, I wouldn't be where I am now. <laughs> yeah. Just like they said, like really just terrible things. Yeah. And then Bryce also comes face to face with Ethan, which is Connor's younger brother, who clearly still seems to hate her. Yeah. And we also learned through Bryce's internal monologue that all of her texts between her and Danica leaked from the night she died. Yeah. To everybody. To the entire world. We get more information about like that short time between when Danica died and when the book picked up again right. and learn like after Danica's death, Bryce ignored 21 calls from Ethan in the first few days after the murder. She never responded to him, which I felt like was especially sad because we also learned that Connor was all the family Ethan really had because both of their t- parents died years before. So Connor was like, his only family, it seemed like. So like yeah. Ethan was all alone and reaching out to Bryce and she never reached back out. And then when the, all the messages were leaked and Ethan learned all that information, then he messaged Bryce saying, like, I can't believe that you fucked someone in the bathroom while Connor was dying. And that's when he told her not to come to the sailing and that she isn't welcomed. Yeah. Yeah, that whole series of events was just so heartbreaking for both of them, I feel like. Ethan's learning, you know, his family 
his only remaining family is dead and his friend because they were friends isn't responding all this stuff and he's like why isn't she responding and then he finds all of this out through leaked text like bryce doesn't even tell him but then on the flip side you know bryce just watched or at least saw her friend's body completely wrecked and connor who she did have feelings for and she just kind of lost everything that night and i think she was having a hard time processing everything and she felt guilty too and i think you can tell just by how she shows up at um in moonwood here in this scene just how guilty and how she is just not her usual like swaggering take no bullshit self she's just you know kind of tail between her legs and that's kind of sad to see yeah and i definitely like i i feel for ethan 100 percent, but i don't you know bryce isn't like at fault they were both is just horrible situation Yeah. yeah and for bryce to have her private information leaked like that like none of that is anyone's business um they do get to sabine eventually and they she says you have nerve showing up there and asks where the hell her sword is of course her her go-to line (laughs) (laughs) the only thing she wants to know about in the wake of her daughter's murder and the investigation reopening (laughs) yes um bryce ignores her they start to question her about danica's whereabouts the night of luna that luna's horn was stolen Mm-hmm. And then they're not really getting an answer. And Bryce kind of lies and, and says, I thought Danica mentioned being there that night, like at Luna's temple. And the night that it was stolen. And Sabine goes, it's hard to remember, isn't it, when you were high, drunk, and fucking strangers? Just, yes. I just feel like Bryce is just getting like hit after hit of like, just like I really felt so horrible for her reading this I know like just kicking someone while they're already down just over and over again just everybody who you maybe used to care about I guess she never cared about Sabine but all of these people just you know bringing straight up to your face your like most regretted moment yeah the (laughs) things that like clearly she feels the guilt she hates herself in a way for all of it and everyone is just just harping on her worst yeah the worst yeah nights of her life um they end up like leaving they don't really get any information from sabine um right and bryce leaves and on their way out she warns ethan about the murders that are going on tells him to warn the pack and ethan kind of said like says you never deserved him referring to Connor um, as they're walking out. And it's kind of like the final blow to like just an already terrible um, time for her. I know, but she does actually for the first time in this whole kind of scene, she does kind of give a rebuttal to Ethan and she she says, you know, likewise, I think Connor would be embarrassed by what you are letting happen. The fact that you're letting Amelie, this piece of crap, you know, person be your alpha when she's less powerful than Ethan. And he's just kind of, you know, he used to be this star sunball player and he had all this stuff. And now he's just some, you know, second 
to a, a piece of crap alpha. Like she kind of gives him crap right back, which I thought was good of her. I don't know. I feel like yeah, that was, there's some of the Bryce that we used to see or we're used to seeing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It came back in at the end there. And I feel like he deserved to hear that. Yeah. And it's probably true. So it seems like it. So then chapter 44, um, Bryce asks Hunt if he ever saw the messages that leaked from that the night that Danica died and he says that he had. And Bryce kind of just goes into how much it affected her and how awful people were about it. And right. she just she goes on about how people like hated her. And some of the wolf pack literally wrote a song called I just hooked up with someone in the bathroom. Don't tell Connor. Like just, yeah, it reminded me of like present day online bullying and just the relentlessness of people on the internet when they want to hate someone, like they go all in. (laughs) Yeah. It's so true. All the cyberbullying and all of that is also a thing in Crescent City. Yeah, sadly. Yeah. We get from Bryce's internal monologue that she was at like a very dark place at this time, like understandably. And we learn that Juniper saved her life one very dark night. They haven't talked Mm -hmm. about it since. um, But we do get a little bit more insight into that time um, when the book jumped ahead. Hunt, in his internal monologue, he doesn't tell this to Bryce, he recounts Danica's sailing, which he did attend, and um, found out that she was welcome to the bone quarter. And he wonders if she or some part of her is roaming the island. And if if Danica's aware that her best friend is doing anything she can right now to try and find her murderer. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of begs the question, you know, what is the bone quarter quarter, and what goes on there? Are they aware of what's going on here in the rest of the world? Um, Are they just completely isolated? I don't know. We have no idea. Yeah, it gives me hope that he, you know, Hunt is theorizing that part of her maybe is there. So maybe we'll get a chance. Who knows? Um, Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Chapter 45, Hunt is going to a bar to meet up with some of the Triari, something he's never done, but um, another angel kind of takes the bodyguard duty for Bryce, watching her at her apartment, and she promises she'll stay put for the night. She reaches out to Juniper, who's busy with dance. She calls Fury, who doesn't answer like she hasn't been all this time. And she just has that, like, sucky feeling when you, like, want a friend and, like, nobody's there. So naturally, she's like, I'm leaving Naomi, who's babysitting. Bryce tracks her to Fyro and calls Hunt, who comes to find Bryce. And he's not upset that he that she broke her promise. She's he's just concerned about her. And they are starting to have this like kind of intimate moment where it seems like they might almost kiss. Hunt is obviously distracted because they're both kind of like giving each other the eyes is how I read (laughs) that. Um, And then, so he doesn't notice the rustling in the bushes behind them until the Crystalos crashes right into him and bites him in the shoulder. 
Yikes. <laughs> yeah, not good. Um, so chapter 46 opens with Hunt shoving Bryce out of the way. Bryce quickly calls for help and Hunt and the Crystalos are fighting. But when the Crystalos bites Hunt, his lightning power just dies out entirely. Yeah, kind of wanted to throw in here. Um, when we're just kind of looking and considering Bryce and Hunt as endgame and mates, you know, a common theme with all of the mates is always that they literally will do anything to keep the other person alive. So I think this is interesting in a potential theory that they are, in fact, mates. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he's had a choice between protecting himself or getting Bryce out of the way, and he chose her. Yeah, it's just a common theme in many of her books, so I think that's important to highlight here. Okay. Um, Bryce d- grabs Hunt's gun. She tries to shoot the Crystalos, but she misses, and the Crystalos then kind of becomes distracted going after Bryce, and Hunt's able to grab his knife and kill the Crystalos. Um, the Triari and the medics arrive on the scene. A medwitch tends to hunt who seems to be the same medwitch that we've been seeing that we still don't yeah. know her name. Right. This mysterious Ma- medwitch. Yes. And Micah shows up and he demands to know what happens while Hunt is like still being treated. <laughs> like he's just like, <laughs> what? you know, doesn't care that about Hunt's health or anything. He's like, this can't get out to the press. We have to burn the body. He burns the body. And Hunt's like, we we needed that for evidence. Micah is like, no, we can't have any trace of this. Whatever. And this is when Bryce starts to think that, like, things just aren't adding up. Like, they were able to kill the Crystalos, like, fairly easily. I mean, you know, I guess for, like, a an assassin of demons <laughs> and, like, a sharpshooter or whatever. Right. Um, but the entire pack of devils and Danica, who were extremely powerful, were just completely like shredded to death. So she's like, something isn't adding up. Yeah, she's kind uh, of questioning at this point, did the, like, could the Crystalis really have killed the entire pack of devils? Like, this is it. This is all this thing is. So, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, especially with how powerful Danica was and that it's a whole pack of people and that Hunt and Bryce could have done it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Hunt also tells Micah about his theory about Sabine and Micah basically says, come back when you have concrete proof because they don't at this point. Right. Chapter 47, Hunt flies Bryce back to the roof of her apartment And they have this very intimate embrace on the roof while it's like pouring rain. It's very romantic, I guess. (laughs) Hunt is like nuzzling her neck. She's (laughs) holding him very tightly. And then the door to the roof swings open. And Sabine says, back the fuck up. And yeah. that's where the chapter and our recap ends. Unfortunately, <laughs> we are on a cliffhanger. <laughs> as we yeah. frequently are. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
yeah, so that was a lot of information. We definitely have to dive into this cliffhanger, but maybe we take a quick break and then we can come back and talk about Jesse's theories on what could happen next. Yes, sounds good. All right, should we jump back in? Let's do it. Okay, so we just left off. Sabine did kind of cockblock us on the roof. They were maybe going to have a moment and then she ruined it. Um, But so, yeah, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what Sabine is doing here. Well, she has been my top suspect. Yeah. And her showing up on the roof, I mean, is she there because she knows they're on to something? Right. And she's there to like, I mean, she's catching them off guard when they're vulnerable. So I don't think it's going to be good. I mean, I feel like she's still my top suspect and I don't know what she's going to be doing exactly, but it looks like she's going to be threatening them somehow. Sabine has been your top suspect for a while now, but Bryce and Hunt seem to have finally gotten on board on Jesse's train of thought. So in these in this series of chapters, we get a lot more information on Sabine and we start digging. And I feel like we have some key pieces of evidence that are strengthening this theory that it's her. We have that there was the 77 degree drop where the temperature drop where it's possible a demon was conjured in um, Moonwood, which of course is where Sabine is. Um, Also, we saw the crystallos there too. We saw a piece of its claw. Um, So that's a big piece of evidence. Um, And also she just flat out, you know, kind of lied to Bryce in her response when she was saying, you know, I don't, no, she just deflected. She refused to go into detail about where um, Danica was or admit it or anything like that. So those are two interesting pieces of evidence, I think. Yeah, clearly she's lying about where Danica was that night. And the chrysalis has been around the den. Like things are just adding up that definitely aren't looking good for Sabine being innocent. Yeah. But I mean, I still have the Faye Autumn King and the Viper Queen are still on my list. Yeah. But Sabine is at the top. Yeah. I, we really mostly focused on Sabine. Did anybody else get added to your list from this these chapters? I mean, I guess like Emily could have had motive, but I don't, I don't think she's capable. I think she's a little too lame to be out there conjuring some badass demon. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, I think that I've just had like my sights set on Sabine. That's fair. So I kind of wanted to dive into Sabine a little bit. I feel like since she's our top suspect, it's it's time to do a quick Google search on Sabine and find out some information (laughs) on the name. So that's what I did this week. And so I found an interesting story. The main story that kept popping up um, comes from Roman mythology or perhaps even Roman history. It seems like it's a little bit more than a myth, but 
it's not fully corroborated as full on history, if you will. Um, but so there's a story known as the kidnapping of the Sabine women. Um, and so the Sabine women, Sabine was just a civilization at the time um, in Italy. And the Romans came, so this was um, around 8th century BC. So quite some time ago, Romulus was the first um, king of Rome. And he held a festival with the intention of stealing women to become the Romans, the Roman men's wives. Um, because I guess there were just a lot more men um, in Rome and they tried to have intermarriage between other cities and all the other cities were like, absolutely not, you're not allowed. So he does this whole elaborate thing where he hosts a festival, invites people, and then they literally steal women to become their brides. Oh my God. Those so I don't women. really know how, <laughs> I know, right? It's kind of insane. <laughs> I don't really know how this fully ties into our Sabine. Um, but that was just the myth that came, that kept popping up again and again. So the thing I'm thinking is like, mm. who is Danica's father is sort of the thing I'm thinking right now when I'm thinking about this myth. Yeah. Cause we haven't talked about Danica's father, like at all. No, we don't know who he is. There's no mention. We don't even know if Bryce knows who he is. Like, we don't know if he's dead, if he's just, a, I mean, I wouldn't imagine he was like a deadbeat, but maybe, I don't know. Yeah, we have no idea who he is. So I think mm. that maybe this myth is kind of bringing that up. Maybe he is somebody interesting that we'll learn about. Um, but otherwise, I came up pretty empty handed on meanings that could help us out as to why she would have potentially killed her own daughter. I've got nothing on that. Yeah. I guess there's nothing in the mythology this time, at least that yes. we found. <laughs> exactly. Um, but she's definitely still high on our suspect list. I think she's top. She's looking pretty suspicious. Another character that we kind of got to see in this series as well was Syrinx. So that's Bryce's Chimera. And we see a little bit, he does not like the rain. We learned that. <laughs> I loved that scene. That just reminded me of my parents' stubborn dog. <laughs> hey, you know, I love Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> just like so stubborn. I love yeah. that detail for Syrinx. <laughs> yeah, so Syrinx is Bryce's chimera that Bryce bought um, his freedom from Jessica. And um, I did a little Google search on Syrinx as well. And in Greek mythology, Syrinx was a nymph um, and a follower of Artemis. Um, so Syrinx was someone who liked to hunt with bows and arrows and was known for her chastity, at least in Greek mythology as this nymph. Um, and I think that this is relevant because when we think back to the myth about Orion, and again, Hunt's actual name is Orion, um, Artemis was Hunt's lover. Um, and so I think maybe this is an idea, this is supporting this idea that maybe Bryce represents Artemis in some ways because Syrinx is her pet and 
Syrinx, the nymph, was a follower of Artemis. So it's kind of tying those two together. Um, and I'm not liking where that leads me to go down because also Artemis ended up killing Orion in the myth. And so I'm a little terrified that Bryce is going to kill Hunt now. I'm really kind of feeling like that could happen. Oh, no. Yeah, I remember in one of our previous episodes when we broke down that myth and we did kind of theorize that could be one of the possibilities. Yeah. Their lover, their lovers, and then Artemis maybe ends up killing Orion. I hope it's not true, but I know. I feel like this does support that. Like, yeah. It's just it really at least tying all ties in. it. Yeah, it all ties it together for sure. Um, we also met someone new this chapter. We met Therion Kedos. Um, and so I also just did a quick search on his name. And so I think his the most relevant part was his last name, Ketos. Um, that is an ancient Greek word that means a huge sea monster, which I think is fitting because he is a mer and he's described as kind of having these tiger stripes. He definitely sounds kind of intimidating and and such. Yeah, he, I kind of, I probably didn't give him justice. I pictured him as like a mermaid with like tiger stripes. <laughs> <laughs> like little mermaid vibes. <laughs> yeah, like more like um, King Triton vibes, but okay. like with, with the tiger stripes. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Honestly, I kind of feel like that's what I pictured too, but maybe okay. a little bit more threatening. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. King Triton had a lot of muscles, if I remember he, correctly. He was very muscular. I mean, he was pro he was definitely a Dilf. He was. He was. <laughs> His hair was flowing. Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so Therian is also, I didn't find anything specifically related to his first name, but there is something about a Therian with an E, T-H-E-R-I-O-N. That's a Greek constellation. And so the only reason that kind of sticks out to me is because we're talking a lot about stars, constellations, space, and a lot of information around that. Um, and so Therian in the constellation represented an unspecified wild animal. And the Romans called it a bestia or like a beast. Um, and it was impaled on a long pole um, held by a centaur. So it's kind of this centaur mm -hmm. killed this um, Therion beast creature. And so that also just makes me worried, like, is everybody going to die? And why are all of these star things all about death? I don't understand. I, this is the first time I've looked into constellations, <laughs> and they're all kind of gruesome. Yeah, it's interesting how much the constellation myths don't end well. Yeah. No. Yeah, we'll hope that maybe some of our theories don't come true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know that this is even a full theory. I just feel like it's important to look to look at everything when you're talking about a Sarah J. Maas book. Um, so that's what we're doing. We're just going down every rabbit hole, and most of them, I hope, will lead to nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exploring, like, the possibilities. Right. Okay, I wanted to talk about one more star constellation thing. 
So we learned one of the Asteri's names, um, Rigelus, the bright hand. Um, and so Rigel is a star in Orion's belt in the constellation Orion. So that has me thinking a lot. Um, and the reason why I think this could be related specifically to Rigelus in this series is because Rigel, the star, is the brightest star in, a star in, in its star system about 860 light years away from our system with the sun. So it, we know it's this really bright star and Rigelus is called the bright hand. So I think that's an interesting parallel there. Um, and so the fact that he is part of Orion's belt has me thinking that Rigelus must be related to Hunt in some way, not necessarily by blood. I don't think Rigelus is Hunt's dad. But hmm. I am curious if perhaps maybe his dad has a history with him. I feel like they are somehow entwined. Maybe Orion will end up, I don't know, involved in some way with Rigelus. I, I don't know. I don't have a full theory, but they are connected here. And I don't think that's as random as Therian's connection. <laughs> yeah, it's, it does seem purposeful. I mean, the fact that he's called the bright hand definitely makes yeah. me think, I mean, it, it was, it was definitely purposeful, but what the connection will be, hopefully we'll find out. Yeah, yeah. I feel like because he does have this unique power that no one else has. If his father yeah. was an Asteri, I mean, that would be, that would definitely possibly create something unique because, because I doubt there's many Asteri angel. I mean, we don't yeah. really know, but we haven't heard of no. that. We do know that the Asteri created the angels, but we don't know how like it's never explained that they're like offspring by any means so right. yeah i don't know knowing like mythology stuff it would not be far-fetched that they would create something and then have sex with with this is whatever true. they created <laughs> <laughs> this is a good point mythology is pretty in insane yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> But I think that's everything that I wanted to discuss through these chapters. The rest, um, I think we need to get into the mass verse a little bit. Yes, I'm, I love this part. So if you have read Sarah J. Mass's other series, The Court of Thorns and Roses and Throne of Glass, if you've read both of them completely, join us after the break where we talk about our mass verse discussion. Yeah. All right, should we jump into mass verse? Yes. Okay, so first and foremost, I just have to mention in chapter 40, we get yet another mention to the color of Bryce's nails. Her nails are described as dusky. And I am still, uh, I'm still sure that the dusk court exists. I feel like I'm just fully on board with this as well because they, the dusky nails have been mentioned a lot. Yeah. Enough that it really makes me think I'm just fully on board with the dust court at this point. 
Yeah. And if you'll allow me to uh, dig us a little bit deeper down this hole. <laughs> please, please do. <laughs> I would like to add in Jelly Jubilee as evidence for my theory on the dust court. <laughs> oh, okay. Interesting. I would not have put that together. Yeah. So could you just give us a quick recap on what Jelly Jubilee is? So Jelly Jubilee is a Pegasus, a unicorn Pegasus. Yeah. That Bryce has a collection of various. Yeah. But Jelly Jubilee is a special purple one that is very near and dear <laughs> to Bryce. Yeah, and Hunt finds it in her, he was like snooping around and he finds it in her closet. This box of these like special unicorn horse things. <laughs> and it's just a funny moment in the book. Um, but so it is specifically called the Starlight Fancy Horses. That is the brand of these, these objects, these toys. They were the number one toy on every girl's winter solstice wish list. Um, but I would just like to pause here and highlight the word starlight. Um, because I would like to say that anything starlight related right now is the dust court. Okay. I'm running with it. So I think these starlight fancy horse toys are based on real life horses in Akatar worlds from the dust court. Whoa. <laughs> okay. So here we go. Buckle up. So in a, <laughs> in a court of silver flames, of course, Helion has Pegasuses. Okay. I looked this up to see, I kind of wanted to say Pegasi, like an octopi, <laughs> but in her book, she does say Pegasuses. So oh, that's what we're going to go with. Pegasuses. Okay. All right. Yeah. And so, um, so Helion has a few Pegasuses, um, but Amarantha hunted many of them down. And so now there are only seven remaining pairs of Pegasuses, um, and they haven't been reproducing. Um, and so seven is the holy number in Crescent City. So that's going off in my mind too, um, and so in the in A Court of Silver Flames, it said that myth has that Helium Stallion had flown so high the sun had scorched him black. So they're talking about a specific Pegasus named Mialan, something like that. Mialan, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but I searched that because that is an odd name. And one of the meanings that came up, there were a, poten there were a potential few to be fair, but one of them came up as little lightning hmm. and that has me thinking about hunt and his lightning power yeah and you know hunt has wings also like a pegasus yeah. i don't necessarily know that they are maybe related but i feel like there's some correlation going on there um might be a little far-fetched hmm. okay but let's let's keep going with some more evidence here um, so the Pegasuses had come from the island of the prison, and it is said in A Court of Silver Flames 
Perhaps this was part of their decline. Their homeland had vanished and whatever had sustained them was no longer. Oh, that is interesting. So if you'll remember from a couple episodes ago when we were really going down our dust court clown car, we talked about how the prison was potentially where the dust court was. So the fact that the Pegasuses also came from there um, and that they've been declining since their homeland has kind of gone away, um, I think that's really important. And I'm just wondering... Could Bryce have a bigger connection to these than just simply a childhood toy? And could she actually, you know, be important? Could this maybe, you know, she is related to the starborn Fae in some capacity. Could it be this starlight that they are missing that they need to kind of replenish the Pegasus population? I don't know, but I feel like Bryce is somehow important or maybe it's rune the starborn heir himself somebody is important um and related to the pegasuses wow wow that i love that you got all of that from the jelly jubilee pegasus toy that bryce had a collection of i mean we do know that nothing is random or coincidence it's true. And I feel like you laid out a lot of evidence. Yeah. I don't know. I'm feeling pretty good about my theory here. I'm just, I'm tacking it on. There are Pegasuses. They came from the dust court. And that's my theory. I'm on board with your theory. <laughs> I'm really ready to like, to just drive this clown car hopefully it doesn't crash but like i'm right. in the car we're at like 100 miles per hour just <laughs> taking this baby down at this point gonna... <laughs> like a, a road that has no end yet <laughs> yeah we are just full-on throwing toys children's toys onto our theory and i'm i'm in full support so yeah we'll see it all makes sense to me honestly <laughs> yeah <laughs> something that i wanted to bring up in our mass first discussion was yeah that when so the crystallos venom we learned in this set of chapters it inhibits a veneer's magic when they right. bite a veneer so that just brought me back to the magic that the king of highburn used against reese and other people um, in Akatar to inhibit their magic. Right. It was called, in those books, it was called Feybane, and it was a compound used in poison arrows by the soldiers of Highburn. Um, right. They were used against Reese, against the Inner Circle, um, and also in the war between Highburn and Perithian. Um, and so it neutralizes and suppresses high Fae powers. Right. And it is also a blue stone that's generally used in the form of handcuffs, handcuffs to capture Fay, or I guess it can also be used as a fine powder. And I guess like this is different. It's venom, but it really just brought me back to this type of power that can 
be extremely dangerous because it takes away all of the power. And I don't know, I just thought that maybe, maybe there could be a connection there. I definitely feel like it could. I think that's an interesting theory. And I definitely think this idea of things that nullify powers is interesting. I was actually just while you were saying that doing a quick search in um, Kingdom of Ash, because I was wondering if anything like that was referenced in Throne of Glass, because I know that originally they nullified powers with those towers in those books. So I'm wondering if there could be even a parallel there. It was nothing of Feybane or Bloodbane in Kingdom of Ash. Um, But I don't know. I feel like maybe there is this general theme of something that can nullify powers. And since we know about this potential universe of all of these occurring, maybe they are all coming from the same thing. Yeah. And maybe like it could all just be plot devices (laughs) completely. But it did just, it did just make me think of brought me back to Akatar, and maybe, I mean, since we're thinking that these worlds have a connection, maybe there's a connection. Maybe the King of Highburn has access to the Crystallos demon. (laughs) Wow, that would be insane. Yeah, that would be pretty terrifying. Although the King of Highburn was pretty terrifying. Um, He's dead now, thanks to Nesta, of course. Yeah. So, I don't know. Just some fun, fun theories. Yeah, I think we definitely have a lot of fun little theories going. A lot of fun little parallels. Um, I always love looking into the mythology and all of that and how it can relate. Um, Yeah, I think that's everything that we had for this week, though. This is going to definitely start picking up. I'm so excited. I always say that for Sarah J. Maas's books, the last like 200 pages are like a sprint. So we're like gearing up. We're starting to run a little bit and we have to get ready to sprint soon. But um, yeah, I'm excited to hear what you think. Yeah, I have to prepare myself for the sprint. Yeah. (laughs) I better start stretching. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So for next week, Everyone should read chapters 48 to 57, and we'll be back here with our recap and clown car theories. Yes, yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you um, enjoyed listening, please give us a rating, like, review, share it with someone. We would really appreciate that. Yeah, thanks so much, and we can't wait to see you back here. See you next time. Thanks for attending English class today. To keep the discussion going, join us on Instagram at the High Lady Book Club. Make sure you do your homework for next week and we'll see you back here.